Welcome to the African Climate Breakdown podcast, a show on climate change with a particular focus on Africa. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Carter, and I lead the coordination unit of the Future Climate for Africa Research Program, or FCFA. It's a program that works to improve the understanding of how Africa's climate is changing and how that affects communities and what can be done to create a climate resilient future. Join us as we delve into the innovative research of FCFA and hear on the ground stories of climate change in Africa. In this first episode, we'll be talking about how Africa's climate is changing, speaking with FCFA scientists about their work and exploring a few specific challenges, like the reasons for increased megastorms in West Africa and why climate models in East Africa don't always match with current trends. It is fitting that my co-host for this episode is Rondro Barry-Malala. Rondro is a leading climate scientist from Madagascar and is one of the co-authors of the upcoming sixth assessment report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. This is the United Nations body that assesses the science related to climate change. Hello, Rondro. So great to have you on this episode. Thank you, Susan. I'm so excited to be here and uh, happy to be part of FCFA. I joined FCFA as a climate scientist within the Umfula research team. And I'm currently part of a spin-off of FCFA called the Launchpad Program. I've been working on understanding some of the mechanisms that drive the Southern African climate. And what I do is just a piece of a puzzle that we try to put together with other scientists' work so that we can have a bigger picture of the African climate. I'm looking forward to sharing more on the nuances of climate science in Africa in this discussion. I am just as excited to discuss this puzzle, as you call it, of Africa's climate with those listening in. So let's dive in. What do climate scientists actually do? And why is this important for understanding climate change? A climate scientist studies weather and climate patterns and tries to understand what causes and influences these patterns. Climate scientists also try to understand how these weather and climate patterns might change in the future and how this could impact communities. Ultimately, climate scientists are helping us to better understand and predict future climate change around the world. So let's use a practical example. In our group, we've analyzed and modeled the way the island of Madagascar of Southeast Africa influences Southern African rainfall. And you may be curious as to how this could be possible. Well, the results show that Madagascar is a physical barrier in the way of uh, moisture transported from the Indian Ocean to Southern Africa. And it has impacts on how much rain falls over some of the Southern African countries like Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi. And this was possible to determine through climate modeling. Here is a short clip from Kirsty Lewis from the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office on why she thinks that having a good understanding of past, present and future climate change is important for Africa's development. Knowledge of past climate helps us to understand the climate system itself, which is what we need to build climate models that allow us to make projections for the future. It's the poor observational records and limits to understanding of African climate that contribute to the high levels of uncertainty and projections of the future climate for the continent. 
Additionally, understanding the relationship between climate and human well-being in the present day is critical to learning how to better prepare for future weather events. By combining our climate model projections for Africa with an understanding of vulnerability, we can better understand the risks to development of the changing climate. And it's this information that's so important to enable African countries to follow climate resilient pathways. We now turn to on the ground stories that show just how important it is to understand Africa's climate and the very real impact of climate change in West and East Africa. Locust swarms, COVID-19 and flooding. East Africa was caught in a triple crisis in early 2020. This region is no stranger to the impacts of climate change, but how the climate will continue to change is still uncertain. Known as the East African Climate Paradox, climate models say East Africa will become wetter in the future, but observations show that it is actually getting drier. What is the reason behind the paradox? And what does this mean for the future of the region? On the opposite end of a continent in West Africa, the Sahel region is seeing an increase in occurrence and intensity of particularly large thunderstorms. And they can be very destructive and frequently make news as megastorms. These megastorms are on the extreme end of a group of thunderstorms and scientists call them mesoscale convective systems. They are particularly large and they can cover areas equal to the size of half of Burkina Faso. Compared to their smaller relatives, those extensive organized thunderstorms produce more intense rainfall and stronger winds and can travel distances of up to 1,000 kilometers with a lifetime that may reach several days. The AMA 2050 team has been tracking the pathways of those storms and showing the impact on the ground in places like the city of Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. Today we are pleased to have Dr. Caroline Wainwright, a climate scientist from the University of Reading. She works with the High Crystal team, who have been making progress to untangle the East Africa climate paradox. Our other guest is Dr. Connie Klein, a climate scientist from the UK Centre for Environment and Hydrology. And she has been tracking Sahel megastorms with the AMA 2050 research team. Great to have you both here today. Uh, let's start with the climate research in East Africa. Um, Caroline, can you briefly explain to us your research and tell us exactly what the East African climate paradox is and why is it so important to understanding East African climate change? Great, thank you. Yeah, so over East Africa, they have two wet seasons per year. They have the long rains in March, April, May, and the short rains in October, November, December. Now, the long rains are the, rain, the season where most of the rainfall occurs. They're the most important for agriculture, for replenishing water supplies, and they're a really important season for many people across East Africa. Now, over the last 30 years, from about the mid-1980s to around 2010, there was a decrease in the amount of rainfall that occurred during the long rains. So there was less rainfall during the long rains. And this led to a range of social and economic problems across East Africa because they're so dependent on this long rains wet season. So that's what we've seen over the past 30 years. We've seen this decrease. However, under future climate change, the climate models that we're looking at are suggesting that under future climate change, the amount of rainfall we're going to have in the long rains is going to increase. And this is what's known as this East Africa climate change paradox. This idea that over the past 30 years, the amount of rainfall has decreased. But in the future, we're expecting it to increase. 
And this raises a lot of questions and it raises a lot of research questions in what is causing that rainfall increase in the future? What's caused the recent rainfall decline? And how are these mechanisms changing? And how likely do we think that it is that this rainfall will increase in the future? So there's a lot of research around this, trying to understand this recent decline and this future increase. East Africa is in the thick of a brutally unusual rainy season, and it's set to get worse. Two tropical storms are expected to hit the region in the coming days. For weeks, torrential downpours have triggered landslides and flash flooding. The death toll stands at 250, with some 3 million affected. There are growing fears of starvation and disease outbreak. The wet weather is due to warmer temperatures in the Indian Ocean. In a moment, we'll get the latest on the response from Nairobi. So my research was looking at changing patterns over the Indian Ocean. So the Indian Ocean um, is right next to East Africa. So they have a big influence on the rainfall and weather over East Africa. So I was looking at changing sea surface temperatures and changing pressure patterns over parts of Arabia and the Western Indian Ocean. And what we found was that some of those changes had led to the long rains getting shorter over the past 30 years. And that was associated with that rainfall decline that we've seen was that the fact that the season was getting shorter. Moving away from the long rains to the short rains, there's a lot more certainty around the short rains. The model projections generally agree that under future climate change, we're going to see increases in rainfall in the short rains. Caroline, could you tell us a little bit more about how those changes have an impact on communities in East Africa? I mean, how would you use this research to better adapt to the changing climate? So climate change will impact East Africa in a number of different ways. The increased rainfall during the short rains might lead to more flooding. So at the end of 2019, the short rains that occurred in October, November, December 2019 were incredibly wet. They were much, much above average. We saw really wet conditions and that had really big impacts across the region. We saw flooding across the region. We saw rising lake levels um, and it contributed to Lake Victoria reaching re record levels earlier this year. Um, and it had a really big impact on lakeshore communities and on fisheries and on all sorts of different things. This extreme rainfall that we saw last year had a really big impact. It also, the wet conditions and the warm temperatures we've seen have also led to favourable conditions for locusts. And there's been a significant locust outbreak over East Africa this year, which has destroyed crops in some regions. And while we cannot say that these events were due to climate change, what we can say is that under future climate change, with these projections of increasing long rains, we might just expect to see more events of this type in the future, and they will have a really big impact on societies and communities. And it's really important that community across East Africa prepares for such changes in climate and that policy decisions and adaptation decisions and planning take into account changing climate. So I did this research as part of the High Crystal Project. And as part of that project, there were teams looking at the potential impacts of climate change on both urban populations, where climate change was likely to impact water supply and sanitation systems and how they function. Um, and there was also a team looking at rural livelihoods, so mainly focusing on how climate change is likely to impact agriculture and fishing. So the team looking at rural livelihoods, they conducted household studies across East Africa. And that was the purpose of those household studies was to understand livelihood patterns and understand factors that limit people's ability to adapt and change their sources of livelihood. And all of that livelihoods data is being um, uploaded into a platform called IDAPS, which will be this database where people can access this livelihoods data to really understand how climate change will impact on livelihoods and how adaptation decisions and policy decisions can be made so that people can adapt their livelihoods to the impact of climate change. And from the High Crystal Project, um, combining these outcomes from the livelihood studies um, with three possible climate change scenarios, 
climate risk narratives were produced. And these narratives were um, images that detail the examples of impacts of climate change um, on rural livelihoods. So things like changing yields and changing livestock disease. And then it, those narratives also included some possible adaptation options to reduce the impacts. A set of climate narratives was also produced for the urban work, looking at the potential impacts on water and sanitation systems in urban areas, and really trying to understand how climate change might impact these systems. And the hope was that these narratives can be used to facilitate dialogue, to start the discussion about how climate change might impact communities in East Africa, and therefore hopefully incorporate some of this thinking and climate change information into long-term decision-making and to policy-making. Thanks, Caroline. That's really a great example of just how important understanding climate science is to help communities to adapt in East Africa. Uh, but what about West Africa? Can you, would you share a bit on the groundbreaking research you are doing on understanding uh, megastorms? So um, within AMA 2050, we had quite a, a big, important uh, study that came out in 2017 that found that those um, West African megastorms became more frequent. They tripled since the 1980s, which we can see from uh, satellite data. And, um, and we found that we can link this in terms of um, uh, what causes this to uh, global warming, actually, and, and, and more specifically to a warming, to a very quick warming of the Saharan desert and increase in, in temperature, the temperature difference between the very warm desert and the cooler places in the southern parts of West Africa, this temperature difference actually changes wind circulations that make makes those storms more extreme. So this is just to show that, um, that for example, very often people think about um, increase in moisture that are necessary to intensify storms, but we were able to show that even even changes in circulations can intensify those storms. And um, it's this sort of knowledge that we are now using and trying to identify what makes those storms occur, what keeps them alive, and what affects where they are going so we can also improve um, warning and forecast systems with respect to those storms. So the um, the study that came out only a, a few months ago from uh, our group, again, we were now more looking at how land surface patterns actually affect where storms are going, um, how they travel, because those very large storms, different from the more common, smaller thunderstorms, they can survive several days. So they um, move over very long distances sometimes for thousands of kilometers. And our goal is sort of to, to better forecast, to better predict um, where those storms are going, whether they might split, whether they, they might just dissipate, or whether they are very likely to actually survive until they reach a city, for example. And, um, and we found an, uh, an amazing um, additional predictability for this, for where those storms might go in surface conditions and surface patterns that we can actually look at from space. So via satellites, we can look at how uh, dry or, or wet the surface is, how warm or cold the surface is. And we found that the storms are much more likely to actually move over warmer, drier soils and that wetter soils tend to weaken the storms or even let them dissipate. And now that we have this knowledge, we can actually use it and implement it because we get this sort of information on the surface state. 
um, every 15 minutes from satellites on a on a uh, sort of operational basis. So we can really, if we know a storm exists upstream from a city and it's approaching a city, we can, uh, uh, in a way, live, we can look at... Um, at images of clouds and the land surface state and say something about how the storm might behave, say, within the next six hours. Um, and this was always something that was, of course, a goal for forecasters. And it's very difficult to sort of improve those forecasting techniques because those storms have a very erratic behavior. There is a lot of um, a, a chance, you could say, in how they behave. But, but this surface information, we're very confident that this might be a factor that can um, significantly improve um, the ways we forecast those storms. And this is information we're now trying to share, actually, with um, uh, meteorological services, meteorological offices in West Africa. In particular, we're now um, working on a project which is sort of linked to AMA 2050 uh, work, which is um, African SWIFT, where on a very large scale, uh, Scientists are actually trying to improve forecasting and um, predictions on several timescales up to seasonal. But um, we are specifically working together with the um, Senegalese um, um, uh, Meteorological Service, ANASIM, working there with people, transferring data, exchanging knowledge about those new tools we now developed within and coming out of AMA 2050 for them to actually test on an operational basis to hopefully in, in the next year in the wet season, we want to test those new tools we're now still developing and testing um, directly in, in action, let's say, so that we can hopefully also use it in direct warnings and, um, and to help to actually <laughs> at least, yeah, warn people in advance so they can get to safe places. So we can make sure that we get uh, search and rescue teams in place if we expect flooding from a big storm and, and all this that comes with those quite, um, quite intense storms. Well, thanks. That's, that's very interesting. Um, so, um, just I'm curious on how often do these storms occur? Yeah. So on average, um, of course, uh, we have to bear in mind that not every single one of those storms is, um, is say dangerous or as extreme because as I said, those storms really make the rainy season in West Africa. So any rain that falls, that hits the ground comes from such mesoscale systems. But the very intense ones are, um, are not as frequent, but frequent enough to be dangerous. I mean, um, those storms might occur every three to five days. But very intense storms, you might get them once or twice a season, which is already quite a lot. And also, if you have um, a higher frequency of even just average storms occurring, you might think about how the, the soil gets wetter and wetter and is saturated at some point. So flooding becomes more and more likely. So it's, it's not even only about how intense an individual storm is, but also how often they occur. So yes, it's, that's an important question. That can be three to five days. How does this research actually impact the uh, communities in West Africa? Well, let's say we need we need very important partners, local partners that actually make sure that any research we're doing um, gets implemented and actually um, has an, an impact 
for for the local communities. Because, of course, we can improve with those tools I was just talking about to improve early warning systems in urban and rural areas. But in the end, it's um, it's not necessarily in our hands to get it implemented. So in that sense, we're really um, relying on, say, metrological services that implement and test it and then also have um, uh, the channels to get the information to local authorities who can then implement, um, yeah, the right, you know, uh, improved warnings um, and, and get the information out actually to their communities. So, but yes, in the end, we're hoping that with the strong collaboration we have with uh, local technical services and so on, we're really hoping to uh, that this can actually reach the people that really need it. Thanks so much, Connie. It seems to me that there's quite a lot of similarity between East and West Africa in terms of both of these regions are dealing with a lot of extreme weather events. So both floods and droughts, and that causes a lot of difficulty in managing uh, their water resources. Caroline, could you give us a, a sense of how you think that these water management issues might be playing out in East Africa? I think there's a lot of challenges around water management in East Africa, particularly with Lake Victoria. So Lake Victoria um, is the largest tropical lake in the world. Um, it's strongly impacted by the rainfall over the region, but it also borders three different countries. It borders Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania. And therefore, there's a lot of struggle around water resource management in that region with managing lake levels and then managing water flow down the River Nile as well, which then goes down to impact Sudan and South Sudan. So as I said, um, the short rains last year were incredibly wet. Actually, the long rains this year were quite wet as well. So this led to high lake levels in Lake Victoria, which then has led to high levels on the Nile, which has therefore led to more flooding in South Sudan and Sudan as well, as those levels of water were incredibly high. So it's a really big challenge of managing water levels, managing them so that they're high enough for fisheries on Lake Victoria to function, managing them so they're high enough um, for water resources, but also managing the output for things like hydroelectric power. A lot of East Africa depends on hydroelectric power for its source of energy, and therefore managing these water resources for that is incredibly important as well. Then looking at the urban side of it in the High Crystal Project, water is incredibly important for the functioning of some sanitation systems. So in the scenario we looked at where it could get dry over East Africa, a lack of water could be a real problem for certain sanitation systems that require a certain level of water um, in order to function correctly. So water resource management is a real struggle. And this was one of the real um, hopes that there would be outcomes from this High Crystal Project, that we would have this more information on how water availability might change under future climate change so that water resource as an important resource can be better managed because it's so fundamental to so many different aspects of life and society, sort of sanitation systems, crops, agriculture, fisheries, all of these different things so that it could be better managed and, and policy and an ad adaptation planning could take into account sort of possible changes in water availability. Thanks so much, Caroline. I'm going to ask uh, Connie if you have any further reflections on how in West Africa, what are the major water resource impacts you're expecting? Yeah, I mean, um, in a way, as um, as meteorologists, we can only talk about sort of the, the climate and weather side of things. But now no, our sort of um, work when trying to actually uh, achieve an impact, we also, of course, more and more realize that it's not all from from not all the impo important information comes from our side here, actually, but it's it's a lot about, uh, particularly for the urban communities, 
a lot about um, issues around urban planning. So even if we now uh, say identify um, in, in an increase in, in floods, which we have across West Africa, especially in cities, it's very often a matter of um, of urbanization uh, and and um, problems of urban planning. So using, for example, fl- flood modeling, trying to identify areas that have a high risk of flooding when such when this such a storm that I was talking about um, approaches, um, we find that very often is actually areas that are so extremely prone to flooding, they will f- flood several times a year uh, anyway, no matter what happens, uh, no matter how the climate changes. So this is structural problems that we cannot use um, uh, or that we cannot um, solve rather with additional information from from our perspective, but really um, need um, very, yeah, uh, structural changes in in the cities themselves. So this is, I think, a big problem that actually um, becomes more and more important as the cities are still growing and quickly growing. Thanks so much, Caroline and Connie. It's been really fascinating to hear about the real-life challenges that are being faced in both West and East Africa. And I really applaud you for the great work that you're doing to help us better understand what is happening in both of these regions. Now let's go back to hear more about exactly what FCFA has been doing to improve climate models and to tell us more about what changes we can expect in the future. My colleague, Awiti Zablon, who's a climate scientist from Kenya, is going to share more on how FCFA is improving the modeling of Africa's climate. Thanks for joining us, Ariti. Great to have you with us today. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about FCFA's work and what we've been doing to better understand how climate is changing over Africa. Oh, thank you, Susan. So Africa is uh, highly vulnerable to climate change and uh, is already experiencing its impact. However, our understanding on African climate remains poor. And uh, this is partially because the uh, development of climate models in the continent have uh, lagged behind advances made in regions like uh, Europe and North America. So these models are uh, our main tools to understand uh, our climate. So if we are not staying ahead or catching up the advances, we are really limited on how well we can predict uh, the climate of the continent. So FCFA is one of the single largest research investment to improve the scientific understanding of African climate. One of the FCFA research projects, Impala, was uh, designed to improve how well models predict African climate on a five to 40 year time scale by reducing errors in climate models. So over the course of the implementation of Impala project, a large body of research has been conducted and techniques developed to identify the local and remote processes that have a role in influencing our climate, but are not accurately represented in the current conventional model used. Thanks so much, Ariti. Could you maybe give us a bit more insight into how the climate models are helping us to improve our understanding of future climates? So one of the major contributions of Impala project within the framework of FCFA program is the development of a groundbreaking Pan-African high-resolution model called CP4 Africa, which uh, is providing new insights 
into African local climate processes and future projections of climate for the continent. Awiti, could you give us a quick explanation of what convective permitting resolution models are? Yeah, convective permitting resolution models are models that are run at a very high resolution, which enables them to capture small-scale processes like thunderstorms or the effect that a mountain has on where the rain falls. So what this model does is to look at things on a smaller scale. For example, instead of assuming an area of 25 kilometers would have the same climate, it is able to capture more detailed information on an area of, say, four square kilometers. And this gives a better insight into what is actually happening at a local scale. CP4 Africa provides the first ever, you know, convective permitting resolution multi-year climate simulations for present day and idealized future climate on an African-wide domain. So at convective permitting resolution, larger convective storms can be simulated without the use of simplified equations to estimate the storms as used in the convectional models with large grid spacing. And uh, this is where, you know, CP4 Africa makes major uh, improvement in terms of uh, modeling and simulating uh, local processes in the continent. So because of this, the model is able to simulate convective storms at unprecedented scales. These storms are main source of rainfall over large parts of the continent, as well as some of the biggest storms on the planet. So being able to model them are extremely important. Having said that, uh, CP Africa simulations are uh, also delivering new information on how important the simulations of convective processes are for African climate today as well as in future. So the new result from the model in combination with existing model projections will give impact scientists and policymakers in Africa more robust, usable information for decision-making. The model also provides us with a glimpse into the future changes in weather and climate extremes. Thanks, Soiti. So um, what does CP4 Africa tell us about the future climate change over Africa? Oh, thank you, Rondro. So uh, the CP4 Africa provides us with a glimpse into the future changes in weather and climate extremes for Africa and um, in a clear way than uh, was uh, previously provided by the other conventional models. It suggests that extremely heavy rainfall events with more than 60 millimeters of rainfall in one day that typically happens about once every 30 years may happen every three to four years by the end of the century. Dry spells with more than 10 days of no rain during rainy seasons may happen almost twice as frequently in the future compared to the present day. And this is a signal which is not seen in the conventional low resolution models. The results show that future changes in extremes of Africa may be more severe than we previously thought if we do not curb emissions of greenhouse gases and prepare for these changes. So these results are of major concern for the lives and uh, livelihoods of uh, the people in the African continent. Thanks, Sariti. That's a really great insight into why this kind of improved modeling is so important.
Rondro, you mentioned earlier that you were part of a new model evaluation hub project called Launchpad. Could you tell us a bit more about what Launchpad is doing? Yes, um, building off of some of Impala's work, Launchpad is an FCFA le legacy program, and it aims to develop evaluation tools that can be automated across climate models so that we can improve the availability of climate information on a five to 40 years time scale. Um, there are 10 fellows, early career scientists from different parts of Africa involved in the Launchpad program. And each fellow examines specific processes which influence the climate of a particular region over Africa. And that is to the goal of improving our understanding of these processes and also to investigate how conventional models are represented for those processes. And I, for one, am very excited to see the developments from yourself and the rest of your colleagues from Launchpad. This really has been an insightful episode. And it's been great to hear from climate scientists on the important work they are doing to understand Africa's climate and how this is impacting people. So let's wrap up. I hope you now have a better understanding of how the climate is changing in East and West Africa and how they are already dealing with extreme weather events such as droughts and floods, how scientists are using and improving climate models to better understand changes we can expect in the future, and lastly, how the work that climate scientists do relates to the challenges faced by communities on the ground. We've come to the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We would love to hear from our listeners. And if you have any burning questions or comments, please email info at futureclimateafrica.org. Or if you would like to learn more about the work mentioned on this podcast, please visit futureclimateafrica.org. You can also follow us on Twitter on the handle at future underscore climate or on LinkedIn under Future Climate for Africa. Take a look at the podcast show notes for any of the links you may have missed. Join us again for more groundbreaking African climate research and stories. 